Well, hello and welcome to The Mariner with me, Chris Stanmore Major. Now, it's been a long time since I've done one of the ABC of Sailing episodes. They're always very popular. The letter that we're going to do today is the letter I. Uh, I, I looked at uh, doing one about isobars and that would bring in meteorology and the weather. But, you know, I'm not sure I'm the right person to talk about that. <laughs> I think I'm the person that should be sat listening as another expert uh, helps me understand more about it. Clearly, with the stuff I do, I have to do a lot of meteorological work. I have crossed many oceans and dodged around and slipped through storms and all the rest of it. But I would still say that that is one of my weaker areas in sailing. Take that for being what it is. It's something I want to improve on. Um, so I was looking around for something else that could be an eye that might be interesting. I'm trying to find very basic concepts to include in these early episodes of ABC of Sailing. And so I've come down today to the conclusion that information, information is the thing that I'd like to speak about when it comes to sailing and how it affects uh, us today. We are in a very, very different world now than the people that developed the machines that we enjoy sailing on, um, the people that invented yawl rigs, the people that invented Marconi rigs, the sloop, the catch, the whatever it is that you've got your hands on, whether it be fiberglass or wood, even carbon fiber, all of those technologies um, came along at a time where you couldn't really know exactly where you were on the face of the planet unless you took reference with stars in the night sky. Carbon fiber, that first boat I took around the world solo was in 1997 build and at the same time that they were building that boat I know that uh, on board the Global Challenge boats which were beating west around the world in the old Global Challenge business um, they had two giant Leica GPS's on board, which when I worked on one of those boats, I thought were quite neat, just ahead of the chart table. They were big, clunking units with very, very limited um, functionality. Carbon fiber had already been around for many years. So we are at a point where our information spreading, information collecting, uh, collating methods are much, much newer than some of the materials technology that really defines modern sailing. So information is something which... Um, we are all having to deal with today. It's something which in any given moment, each of us is trying to find a balance between getting the important drops of morning dew that we need, that piece of information that's just so important, and the alternative, which is just having a giant hose of information directed squarely in your face. And you're completely impossible to make a, 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 a worthwhile decision between all the different bits of information. There's someone to be found with every point of view and no real way to sift through it. We have got a problem with too much information. Perhaps the end of the information age comes when we find a method of discerning between what is quality and non-quality information, however you view that. So I thought on this one, I would uh, take a little help as I had been kind of locked down a little bit with uh, trying to get uh, the boat ready for the Global Solo Challenge race, uh, something which we'll talk about in another uh, episode when we do the news and views, the questions and tangents. Those are the episodes where I can tell you about the uh, the moment that leads to the fact that I should be at sea now. I am not at sea now. I'm kind of hurting about the fact that I wasn't able to get out there. Um, but uh, there's a story to tell. And of course, we can still follow the story of the Global Solo Challenge sailors that are out on the water right now this being December of 2023 and them having two or three months before they get to the finish line we still get an exciting race ahead of us but 
as I was a bit sort of distracted by all of that, I decided to enlist a little help for this one. The idea with the ABC of sailing is always that I just kind of shoot from the hip. Um, but I've got myself an assistant in the in the in the face of overwhelming pressure to try and uh, do something new. Um, I've got ChatGPT here. Now, why would I be choosing to do that? Well, first, it's an opportunity for me to experiment with it a little bit. We've heard so much about it, but it is a collator of information. As I said before, the end of the information age can only be reached, um, perhaps is a better way of putting it, can only be reached when we understand how to collate information. So we can take a look at the capabilities of a tool like this to sift information. Sailing is an area where there are huge disparities between people's different equipment, their different geographic area, their training background, safety equipment on board, their knowledge of how to apply um, timeless techniques to some situations that could really save your life. Can ChatGPT be something that can help us out as we go? I've given it a bit of a test drive here by getting it to write a um, bullet point list of how I present to you, dear listener, the uh, rise of information at sea. It's given me the talking points. Let's go through, let's see what it's got to say and have a bit of a discussion at the end as to has it helped us? Has it helped us to navigate this um, this ocean of information that we have to deal with now? Has it brought up something that could be worthwhile? So that's just sitting in the background and I'm just following the bullet points that it leaves. But as always, it's just me otherwise talking about my experiences and what these things mean to me. Now, before we go on, uh, please bear in mind that uh, the sponsor of today's podcast is you. Um, the Mariner podcast does not have a sponsor or partner in any way. And uh, the only way I'm able to make these possible is by the kind support of people over on Patreon, which is reached through patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. And there you'll see there's lots of extra videos and uh, other books for you to listen to. Of course, we have the companion podcast to this, which is the Mariner's Library, where I read um, sailing books, which have some useful information that can be uh, decanted. It's always normally log books um, that I think give the greatest indication, not just of the technical things that you need to get on with in sailing, but the attitude, the philosophy, the style, however it is you want to define it, your method of going sailing. There's so much to be learned from these older books and uh, so often it's overlooked. So the Mariner's Library is there with books and they're five days a week. We're doing 20 minute episodes. We've also got the Mariner at patreon.com. And of course, the YouTube channel. If you haven't already, go on over and have a look and like, subscribe and share if you can. It really helps move those things forward. We're just a couple of subscribers off having 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. And uh, I've got some exciting ideas of what to do. Now there's a bit of a gap in the uh, conversation with me not doing the Global Solar Challenge. So let's have a look at ChatGPT's idea of um, this subject of information. Now, how does it work? If you haven't done it before, go to chat dot open com and uh, there you can sign up to get an open ai account and then you can go in and just uh click on the button that says chat gpt it's kind of looks like a, a messenger format like you'd have to send messages on your phone you write what it is that you want being as specific as you want and then it starts spewing out answers now this kind of kind of tech for me is something i use a lot i have those smart speakers in the house and use them quite a bit for um interacting with I don't know, Spotify, podcast, the lights on, the lights off, the time, the weather, setting a time, all that. Because I'm kind of used to talking to those kind of systems. I try and keep myself on the edge of it. But I have found that when I'm at sea, 
I might end up saying, like, <laughs> to the air in the cabin, hey, Google, play a whatever it is. Oh, look, now, of course, my phone lights up. <laughs> but I start talking to him uh, in the car. My phone picks up my words. If I'm close offshore, um, you know, within 10 miles of the coast, my phone picks up my uh, request and I can have a piece of information, you know, with me within seconds. And then as soon as I go further offshore, me talking to the air takes on some like weird spiritual kind of element where I'm just talking to the wind and expecting an answer back within range of those transmitters. I'm a god. I know all things go a little bit further offshore and suddenly I'm back to having to look up in whatever books I've got with me or getting it through some offshore data transferred methodology. So when I went into this, um, I knew that I would have to like structure my request. So I'll read to you what I said to it and then let's see what it uh, came up with. Um, I said, I want to write a bullet point list of pertinent historical facts to demonstrate the massive change in the levels of information available to modern yachtsmen, yacht racers and cruisers. This is for a 90 minute podcast and I am well acquainted with the subject matter, as is my audience. It gave me an output there of uh, 10 um, points. I felt it didn't have everything I wanted. So I went back and my next message to chat GPT after it's written this 500 word uh, praises of what I've, I've got to say on the podcast. I said, this is great. <laughs> you know, stay, stay polite in case the robots do take over, right? They'll, they'll remember who's on the uh, Christmas list. I said, this is great. Can you include specific dates and inventors to give further insight? For example, the development of the transatlantic data cables, Morse code, Marconi, etc. And that's the one I want to follow now because it's got um, some actual dates in. Um, I'm using this methodology to try and show that if you're within sight of the land with your mobile phone, this is available to you. Um, I think that in some ways, a little inspiration for this was a rescue which we were involved in about four years ago on Challenger, just off the coast of Newfoundland, where we heard that um, some young men had been playing with jet skis uh, on an iceberg, which had a hole through it, we found out as we went to the area. And there was a kind of ramp on one side. And if you get the equation young men, jet skis, <laughs> an iceberg with a hole through it and a ramp, you can imagine what they've been doing. Well, as it gotten towards the end of the day, I should mention at this point that the temperature of the water is like below 10 Celsius, uh, probably in the five Celsius region. So what's that like 40 Fahrenheit, just maybe a little bit above. It was pretty cold. And the people that we're going to be talking about for just a second here, I can tell you having seen them when they came out of the water, were wearing uh, a PFD, personal flotation device, not a life jacket per se, but a flotation device and shorts. <laughs> so they maybe weren't expecting to be in the water. But um, what happened was that their boat, uh, their, their jet ski got cracked on the bottom of it. And um, they took on water. Now, they didn't have any VHF or any way of signaling to the coast. So the chap gets out his phone and starts Googling for YouTube videos on how to write a flooded inverted jet ski. And the other thing, of course, he did at that point when he realized he couldn't get the jet ski turned back over is made contact with the Coast Guard, which is how we got involved. So he looks for a video on how to solve his situation. He can't. He then phones out. But at that point, for whatever reason, he didn't have his own location. He was able to give a general idea of where they were floating around. And then um, as we started to get closer, the Coast Guard said, there are boats in the area. Can you use the flashlight on your phone to make a, a visible signal? Indeed he did, and 
as we were sailing around with other rescue boats, flashing torches, trying to find him. Like, how on earth can you find a, a jet ski in any other way? You can't do it with radar and it's getting nighttime. You can't see them. But that little light came out of the darkness. And lo and behold, we've got the, uh, the, the people coming alongside the boat and we were able to indicate to one of the other rescue craft who was much more able to take them from the water than we were on a big yacht that here they were. So he used his phone to get information that could have potentially helped him write the jet ski. Now, if it's too badly flooded, it won't work. But he was working along that path with a phone. And then he used the phone as a method of attracting attention. He basically rescued himself with his phone. Okay. Now imagine you've got your phone and you're in a trickier situation where there's a hole in the boat or something needs laminating or you're not sure what size shackle you should use for something or you've got a, a rash or a boil or you're feeling sick or any of these things can all be solved within communication range with the coast if like me you use google or siri or any of those things alexa you can just speak to the air now that is basically witchcraft any kind of technology which is um complex enough to be separated from the audience by you know an order of magnitude of understanding is basically indistinguishable from magic when technology gets to a point where it's indistinguishable from magic we start to realize that a a, a sea change has occurred during our lifetimes. During my lifetime, I was born in 1977. We've got a point where there's phones in the house with long flexes. Then we've got cordless phones. And then we've got no house line anymore. It just comes in via the internet. And now we don't even have the phone at all. We've just got the mobile phone and we use that. And very, very soon, that mobile phone will be connected more often to a satellite than it is to a cell tower. If you look at things like the iPhone 13 onwards, you've got the ability in an emergency to connect with a satellite to transfer your emergency information. How much longer can it be until that happens all the time? So we've got a situation where I can speak into the air in the cabin on the boat and it could give me my position. I could get the water temperature. I could get the estimated arrival time at the destination. I could get all kinds of information and it comes through these these tools, these chat GPT type tools, these AI assistants, whatever you want to call it, that's happening right now. It's something which there's some concern about. We could speak about that a little bit later on. But for us, discussing information as a key ingredient in sailing, it's uh, interesting to have helping me with this task of describing the past of it, a digital tool that may revolutionize the next the next era of sailing, whatever that is. Let's have a look. So ChatGPT says to me in request, uh, in, in response to my request for information. Number one, navigation tools evolution. Ancient sailors relied on stars, sextants and rudimentary maps. Next bullet point. In 1730, John Harrison's invention of the marine chronometer revolutionized navigation accuracy. Third point, modern yachtsmen benefit from GPS which became fully operational in the late 20th century. Okay, it goes on and on down here. Now, if I just keep doing like a critique of its method of presenting things, then that's not going to work. It's my my skill set now to interpret what's on the screen and make it uh, more enjoyable to listen to. So I'm just going to keep going down this, but just bear in mind that the points I'm bringing to you were suggested by a piece of software, by coding that we have created in the last 10 years maybe the last five years, um, that is now such a grip of uh, the way the world works that it's able to draw all of the metadata together to be able to give us insight on some element of our own history. How incredible. Okay, so the first thing we need to recognize is that early sailors 
had it kind of rough. We knew that, right? They couldn't communicate with the shore. They couldn't communicate with each other. Um, vessels which were of a larger size couldn't communicate even around the boat. If you want to get your voice down from the top of the rig on a storm on a 70-foot caravel in the uh, 1400s, tough luck. You better shout louder. There's no other way of doing it. It's been difficult for humans to transfer information to each other, as far as we know, for the history of mankind, whatever length that might be. We're starting to understand in the last 10, 15 years that humans have been transferring information to each other in one way or another for probably a little bit longer than we thought. As we've mentioned in other podcasts, human beings were said to have come out of the Stone Age about 6,000 years ago. That was something which was easily backed up at the time by the fact that we had no other archaeological information that we could be absolutely certain of from anywhere else in the world, which exceeded the early Sumerians and the most early Babylonian civilizations. And that's about 5,000 years before the beginning of the Common Era, which is what used to be, of course, the birth of Christ. And we've changed our mind now and said it's not that's not such an important <laughs> thing to connect to, it, but it's at the beginning of our calendar. So... Sumerians are able to communicate a certain amount of information to us because, interestingly, with that culture, they wrote on clay tablets that were then fired and had uh, the ability to travel through time pretty much untouched. Later civilizations, like the Egyptians, wrote on papyrus, which gave them probably a much easier time when it came to storing and referencing their information, but it is not as enduring. So we end up with the architecture of the Egyptians and we end up with the administration of the Sumerians with their early clay tablets. Now, that information that we see on those tablets is our ancestors thousands of years ago attempting to communicate at a distance. What they could do is write down what it is that they wanted or the question they were asking or the statement of fact, whatever it was, they could write it down, they could fire that tablet, and then it could be either kept or shared with other people or given to a messenger and sent a very long way. But information could be shared at a distance. This would be a massive step up from what was available prior to that, which was shouting, waving your arms or some kind of encoded system they might have had for passing basic danger signals at a distance, lighting a fire, a column of smoke, these kind of things. There was nothing else that could be done. And for mariners at sea, of course, the problems were further compounded and magnified by the fact that you're on a boat and then have very limited ability to receive any information. What kind of long range forecasting could you do from a boat a thousand years ago? You could look at the sky and you may have some knowledge of what comes next when you see a sky that looks like this red sky in the morning, halos around the moon, particular animals flying backwards and forwards, moving around, giving you an idea of seasonal changes, looking at the water, looking at things that are in the water, wave shape, you can do a lot of interpretation of what's going on around you, but you can't reach out of that sphere and draw information in. For the people that are on board boats, it's interesting that one of the Bible stories that we have, which we know obviously is referencing a point a couple of thousand years ago at least, we're talking about doves and crows being sent out from boats and the fact that the crow just flew off and never came back. It's actually doing its job, right? As the crow flies, it was a piece of information that they were able to uh, extract from their surrounding environment by using an animal in the shape of a bird to give them an idea of which direction was the closest land, having an eye high up in the sky that would allow them to sense nearby land even though they couldn't see it. So very, very basic uh, things that people could do to share uh, information with one another. The tablets from the 
Sumerian cultures were able to travel through time because of their nature, as we said. But still, we don't have a full understanding of what happens between individuals in that time space. How accurately did they understand the messages? I know certainly when I studied linguistics, we looked at the fact that early writings, both the person writing it and the person receiving it, may have very low skill sets, even within their era, for the writing systems that were available. You might well know how to write, but you might not be the best writer. And you may well know how to read, but you may not be the best reader, which then makes communications that you have sent subject to a lot of uh, interpretation, shall we say. So the gold standard with humans for thousands of years has been to meet in person and to write something down on paper so that the words are kept for all time and to put some kind of sealing mark on to make sure there was no imposters, to make sure that it was definitely you. It could be a signature, it could be a wax seal. We have only been able to communicate important things safely, uh, securely, at very close range, and at long range, almost no information. And if you're on a boat at sea, well, you're toast. There's no real options, right? Let's get back to our run like time list here from ChatGPT. It reminds us that uh, the communication revolution begins in the 18th century when semaphore signaling was first used at sea. Um, there's a couple of different methods that that was going on, of course. You've got uh, a flag system, which you will think of, with the one person holding their flags at um, different angles above and around their body and head, the, the typical semaphore flag waver. But that very quickly got made into a machine which could sort of move two articulated arms to set positions to communicate a range of very complicated uh, messages, and it was an automated system. The first telegraph lines that came in came in actually with a six wire system and that was so that they could get that machine, that semaphore mimicking machine to uh, do what it needed to do. It needed six inputs and it was not a good way of doing it. When finally they worked out how to do uh, two wire Morse uh, telegraphy down just two wires, suddenly the requirement for wire dropped massively. The ability to communicate on a very long distance improved and the speed picked up a lot because suddenly we had Morse code keys and they were able to communicate down double wires and that was the gold standard for many years. Morse transmission down the telegraph. Now the person that really revolutionized that is someone who I've looked into quite a lot, Guglielmo Marconi. We do that event, or I used to do with Spartan across the Atlantic going from Newfoundland to just uh, by... Um, Falmouth in the UK, a place called Purdue, which is uh, the where the first wireless telegraphy transmission was made for all the way across the Atlantic, back to Newfoundland, to the Cabot Tower. And there, the Morse code letter of S, dit, 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 was received through the airways by Guglielmo Marconi in 1901, using technology based on a lot of ideas by Tesla, who was later accredited with the invention of the wireless telegraphy because so much of his tech was involved in that coming to fruition but at that point in 1901 suddenly rather than having to put a cable through the sea which is what they'd done at the end of the 1800s suddenly you could pass things through the air and the era of long-range information transfer began and for obviously ships at sea this was a complete game changer now a few little details to throw in there if it hasn't come across your bows previously the uh, SOS standing for save our souls is a backronym not an acronym an acronym is when you get the letters of the words and then 
form a new combo of letters from them. You think to yourself, wow, we really need to be able to communicate with each other. And in an emergency, the words I'd really like to commit uh, to other people's memory are save our souls. So I'm going to call this thing SOS. What happened was that dit 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 da 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 dit 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 was the easiest thing for people to transmit easily on the new system. Very, very easy to recognize, very easy to remember, very easy to transmit. And uh, later, Save Our Souls was kind of wedged in as being what SOS was for. But the ability to send SOS, which was first done obviously by the Titanic in 1912, was a move on from CQD, which is what they'd sent previously, which is again just a very easy to understand combo of letters in early Morse protocol, which then gave way to SOS, which is what we have today. The ability to suddenly give warnings uh, to other folks that you had problem. Looking at the Titanic, uh, the situation there where they were receiving telegraphy reports from other ships around and nearby who that uh, were telling them about the ice, was telling them about the need to slow down. They're giving them information about how much moonlight there was, water temperatures, wind speed. The Titanic had a lot of information coming on board it in the early 1900s compared to a vessel even 20 years before at the end of the 1800s. They would not had that much info. Now, from reading all the books I've read in the Mariner's Library, which includes some very interesting uh, books about people voyaging like across the Atlantic in small open dories, um, they're, they're, they're making communication with ships at a pretty regular rate. They will come in visual sight of another vessel and then via semaphore or code signal flags up in the rigging or by just hailing each other with a bullhorn, um, they're able to make contact with other vessels and transfer information. But to do that, put a, a big jink in the uh, route that uh, one or both of the vessels were taking and was something that if you were pushing for time, you would miss out on because it required you to maybe beat to windward or hove to or whatever it is you wanted to do. The first time that suddenly vessels were able to make communication with each other wirelessly, the technology that allowed that to happen was also really only the preserve of the big boats. And it was interesting to read, again on the Mariner's uh, Library podcast, the account by Dr. Alain Bombard of his drift across the Atlantic in an eight-foot Avon rubber raft. Yeah, you heard that correctly. With no food or water, he used the ocean to its full extent and survived it and survived on into his 80s. Um, that was done in the 1960s in an attempt to save mariners from the situation of being lost at sea. He wanted to get information about how to survive that. But he had on board with him a shortwave radio set and that was one of the first in the world to be small enough that could get on something like an eight-foot raft. Now, it didn't work. Never really got it going. Never got the, uh, the use from it he might have done. But that's the 1960s. By the time you're talking about 1960s, you're inside the life cycle of somebody who's already alive now. That they were gone from the point of having a radio in their car, to having an 8-track in their car, to having a tape recorder in the car, to having a CD player in the car, to having what came next. Well, like those little insert cassette things that were connected to a wire that came out to your new MP3 player. And then if it wasn't wires, later obviously it's Bluetooth technology and suddenly your phone is connected via Wi-Fi to your car and is allowing you to speak to the air in your car and ask it about where you're going and change your schedule and all the rest of it. So these things are happening very much in the modern day. There are people alive now, if you're you know, in your 80s, remember a very, very different world with uh, information than we're in right now. One of the things that the uh, a little chat GPT friend wanted to point out next is uh, one of the other big areas that are important to people at sea is 
weather forecasting advancements. Early sailors faced unpredictable weather with minimal forecasting. As we said, they knew certain rhymes about what they could expect if they noticed particular elements of the environment around them. But ultimately, storms could just brew up out of nowhere. They could go uh, completely ballistic around you and you have no idea that it's coming, no way of knowing which way to get out of it, no way of understanding how rough it's going to get or how long it's going to last, no way of communicating to other people you're still alive or that you'll be delayed. Just when the weather hits, that's the end of it. And the other one which is covered in books by people like Joseph Conrad is what happens if you drive into a hole? There's no wind. You could be in a situation where you're on a vessel, a cargo vessel, and your entire cargo is spoiling. You're running out of food for the crew. You've got terrible psychological pressure on all involved, and you could be becalmed for a week or more, literally in a house of mad people, um, unable to get information on or off the vessel about when this is going to uh, conclude and when you'll be able to get on with your business. These were very, very difficult times for sailors. Going out onto the ocean was a frontier unlike that that we we face now one of the things that uh, i bear in mind when i'm saying this is that the book i'm concluding at the moment on the mariner's library this is not just an ongoing advert for the other podcast although it does seem to be coming up but the information that has been transferred to me via the writings of these sailors whose books i have in the mariner's library this particular sailor is called sir francis chichester and he was an extraordinarily important person who really proved that you could sail solo around the world and his exploits were the basis for the 1969 golden globe race but previous to that he was already a very famous navigator having sailed uh, small planes across great tracts of open ocean all the way from new zealand up to the uk so his uh, awareness of navigation and his uh, reliance on the information that's around him as he's um, engaged in the activities described in the book we're presently reading. The book is called The Romantic Challenge and it's the last adventure that Sir Francis Chichester went on where he attempted to set um, the record of sailing five straight days at an average of 200 miles per day. Something very very difficult to imagine for a small uh, sailing yacht in 1972 when this happens whilst he's getting on with that adventure we also get to see behind the scenes with his navigation and recognize that without sun sights without planet sights without uh, his uh, uh, chronometer being uh, in working operational order without the the books and the things that he's got on board that he requires to do his calculations he has no clue where he is there's one bit i'm just reading right now he's in the caribbean ocean he's got to go through this passage that passage tack around here and there I've been through the exact same place with a clipper boat with a crew of 20 on board racing and never once thought, do I know where I am? How close to this island can I get? The Caribbean is very well charted, as are all even the sandbanks. And passing through that area, my only concern was how fast are we going and you know, what time's dinner? Meanwhile, for him in 1972, only 30 years earlier, um, he's having to use other celestial bodies to try and locate his position and try and get it accurate as best he can. He's got limited information on the charts. He's got limited understanding of the currents that are around him. He doesn't know what the weather's going to be next. He can only communicate via his basic radio telegraphy set as long as it happens to be working, which seems to be kind of whenever it feels like it. All sorts of issues with antennas and power and um, grounding uh, plates on the boat. And you start to get an idea that even... 35 odd years ago, that's a bit more now, 40 years ago, no hang on, a bit more than that, good lord, I'm born in 77, it's 50 years ago now, <laughs> but fi even 50 years ago, he's at the 
the forefront of what's possible in a, a yacht which really looks you know quite up to date and quite modern by modern standards and yet informationally he is bereft compared to what even somebody with one iPhone can have in a PDF and a pair of shorts in the water at night off Newfoundland you know he can't suddenly pick up a YouTube video on how to mend his broken spinnaker pole um, but our chap in the water there can almost get his uh, jet ski righted because he's watching a video by some Russian chap who posted it three years ago to a system that's held by Americans and transported to you by a phone made by the Koreans you know it's completely insane where we're at um, the fact that we can go into a massive weather front now and know oh there's only like 45 knots in here or no yeah this is gonna be three days or know exactly where you are in the quadrant of the storm that you're weathering and how you're going to get out of it these things are fundamentally changed the nature of sailing in a way that uh, I don't know if it's taking us further away from it or if it's opening further away from the source and like the, the purity of sailing or if it's moving us closer to a, a future time in sailing where it's a lot more accessible for a lot more people. Um, the establishment, it says, continuing with ChatGPT's notes here, uh, the establishment of the UK Met Office in 1854 marked a significant step in formal weather forecasting. Suddenly, a bit like the inception of the dictionary a hundred years before this, you had like a standard by what we're going to, you know, what we're going to do here, what we're going to say, how we're going to say it, even down to the words. When I mean, you think particularly about UK uh, formatted uh, weather forecast through Radio 4, every single word has a meaning, whether it be later or soon or after. All these words come down to is it three hours, six hours, nine hours. When are you going to get this weather? And so it's a very efficient way of um disseminating the information to folks uh, all over the world. Something which has been done uh, recently, until recently rather, via um, shortwave uh, radio broadcast. You might pick that up on, a, on a, um, an SSB radio, a single sideband radio. Obviously, it might be long range or USB or however you're picking up. But whatever channel you're getting, it's propagating through the atmosphere we're in a situation now where you may be getting that information via satellite. You may not be hearing a radio forecast. You might be watching a video of someone telling you. You might be getting direct information from a satellite that's overhead, sampling the, the temperature of the water, the height of the waves, and calculating the wind angle and speed. And you might be getting really very real-time information about what's going on around you, depending on what technology you've chosen to have on board the boat. Um, today, it says uh, advanced meteorological satellites provide real-time weather data for, device, for, for precise sail planning. And I think the thing, if it's not covered later on in this uh, discussion by ChatGPT here, is the fact that we now have uh, GRIB systems, weather monitoring and tracking voyage planning systems like Squid or like um, Predict Wind or Windy. Or um, if you're going to do navigation, you could do it through Navionics and have it plot all of the way around because it knows the, the depth of your boat. You can get a huge amount of information to yourself in a way that just was not available previously, right down to the exact performance data of your boat. Um, fed through a, an algorithm which is then able to splice it into the weather and four or five different weather protocols and you can just sit you know drinking a cup of tea with absolute confidence particularly when you're around the UK or, or the east coast of the US that this is pretty much what the weather is going to be at least in the next 24 to 48 hours longer than that it's a complex thing trying to predict the weather so we know it gets a little bit shonky in terms of uh, longer range forecasts but right now we can get information onto a boat for a race that in places like the Solent or Annapolis or um, Long Island uh, Sound you can have it down to accuracies 
uh, fractions of a mile as to where the tide and wind are going to be at any one time. This is something which is, again, akin to witchcraft for any sailors and mariners that came before. And we can see the difference when we read these logbooks uh, of the massive risks and, and leaps of knowledge, leaps of, uh, of faith, uh, leaps of belief that they could deal with whatever came next. They weren't definitely saying, I can handle it, but um, they didn't have any options and they stepped in anyway. Like, I think that's... Uh, it's bravery, I think. They didn't have a choice. <laughs> Does it make it brave if you don't have a choice? But the, the feelings that they had when they went to sea are something very different from what we are experiencing as we watch that little boat icon move amongst the, you know, the light beige bits and stay in the deep blue bits and uh, we should be safe, right? So let's have a see. Um, technology impact on yacht design. Oh, interesting. Historical yachts were crafted with traditional materials and design. In the mid 20th century, fiberglass revolutionized yacht construction. Later, computer-aided design in the late 20th century transformed the precision and efficiency of yacht design. Okay, yeah. Information about your boat, information about what it can do. We talked about what information is available to you on the boat. If you have the polar diagram that allows you to know which sail you should have up in different settings, what uh, angle you should be at the wind to get the best upward, uh, upwind or downwind uh, VMG, all of this information is available to you. When I went on board one of the Whitbread 60s we bought, it was uh, the old Yamaha boat that won the 93 Whitbread race. Inside the nav station was the velocity prediction program. It was graph paper with polar graphs drawn onto it of the boat's abilities that were literally drawn by the designers at FAR Yacht Design. And uh, the, the paper version of that was on board the boat. If you wanted to get a velocity prediction program done for your boat or a new designer boat, even in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was still like 10,000 US to get all the calcs done, all that stuff. It was a, a time in the mid 90s, early 90s, where suddenly we had computers which had the ability to deal with fluid dynamics, whether it be air or water. And our understanding of those realms massively changed. Sailboat design stepped forward in a long way. And suddenly you've got a computer that can calculate how fast the boat will go in different uh, wave tank tests or real world situations. There's no need to get a pencil out and a, and a protractor and a piece of graph paper and draw it. That's a boat that was winning in 93 and we're now in 2023 30 years on and that technology of writing that thing with a graph uh, a graph paper and pencil seems completely backwards of course you just have a, a model um, and it would be able to tell you exactly what was going to happen combine those kind of models with the models that exist of uh, world uh, met data there are teams going for things like the Vendee Globe who will be looking at what kind of weather is happening that year, where El Nino is at, what's happening in the Southern Ocean, uh, water temperature, and optimizing the boat before it leaves France for those conditions using historical data and up to the up-to-date data, like uh, real-time data, to modify the boat before it sets off. So they're setting up the boat for conditions it'll experience 10,000 miles into its voyage, two weeks, three weeks down the line, um, before it even departs port. This is a, a, a crazy time to be involved in any kind of uh, activity on the water. Suddenly things are opening up in a way that never happened before. And as long as we use them to get safer and to enjoy being on the water more, it's great if we use them to try and cut corners and avoid the basics of uh, safety, then obviously the sea will exact the full penalty as it always does. Um, next point from ChatGPT is safety measures enhancement. 
Historical sailors lacked the sophisticated safety equipment. Absolutely. The introduction of EPIRB, Emergency Position Indicating Radio Beacon, in the 1970s improved emergency response at sea. Today's yachtsmen benefit from advanced life-saving technology and comprehensive safety protocols. The way that our satellite communication system interacts with the Joint Services Rescue Coordination Centers around the world, whether that's Falmouth in UK or Halifax here in Nova Scotia, they're able to get planes in the sky, crew briefed, vessels diverted, um, particular codes being looked out for on AI, uh, AIS systems. They can get dye into the water from long-range reconnaissance planes and helicopters off the decks of clippers and frigates at sea to a huge amount of activity can happen when an EPA beacon is set into motion. And the technology to be able to do that, again, is literally th less than 30 years old. We are dealing with things that have changed what's happening on the water in an incredible way. And if, you know, most of the people that own boats in the U.S., about 88 million people in the U.S. have regular interactions with boats and, and boating activities each year. And the median age of that is about 48 years old. OK, obviously, the stuff I've had to look into with doing the podcast and having a company in this region. If you if you cut out the fishermen and you cut out dinghy sailors, the average age pops up to about 58. And the sailing is even higher than that. It may well be that there's people listening to this who haven't really got into all of these different bits of technology and kind of not realizing exactly what could be on the plate for them, what could be helpful. To give an idea, a friend of mine's got a, a Garmin watch and that watch connects with his autopilot and he can control the boat through the autopilot on his watch but it also connects to the navigation system and he can see the chart and he can see what's going on and how long it's going to take to get there. It also connects to the weather information. It can get a download and find out what the latest weather and tide are in the area on his watch. <laughs> he can then also connect that watch to his phone. And if you start to get into what phones can do at sea, which I think we're going to kind of conclude on with this, um, you're in an area where you have unprecedented access to information, which would have been well, it made you very popular back in the day, if not got you killed, I would imagine, because the, the issue is always trying to sneak in this uh, high level information in a way that doesn't get people uh, thinking that you are indeed <laughs> like some kind of witch or wizard. My brother and I used to play a game uh, when I was much younger living in Holland with him, and we would try and work out uh, how you could get back in time and get like in charge of a country or become the richest person or whatever it was that was the objective of that conversation but you had to travel back through time naked like the in the do in the uh, the terminator films so you can't take anything with you but you've got to try and get in charge of the world what everyday knowledge would you have now that you could take back with you you could leverage to get yourself you know something worthwhile the first thing you got to do is like find some clothes and you won't, won't know the language you got to survive that how could you step up from there you start to realize that you went back 500 years you could draw them a map of the world that would be just from your geography lessons remembered as a as a child um, you could draw them a map of the world that would wow them with its detail um, it, it is an interesting thing however that you wouldn't be able to do their navigation methods you wouldn't be able to suddenly drop into something 200 years ago and do spherical trigonometry because you'd be doing astronav before the air tables which were created the air tables were only created to make logarithmic tables that could uh, give you the calculations for astronav once planes were invented they had to do navigation fast so they needed answers tables not 
having to do massive, uh, say, spherical trigonometry calculations, which is what would have happened traditionally on a boat. So if you were going back in time, there'd be stuff that you wouldn't know that they do know. But if you had access to your technology as you do now, you'd be uh, yeah, most likely uh, burnt as a witch, I should imagine. So um, we are in a situation now where we can personally send out a signal to the world that can have massive pieces of infrastructure changing direction towards you and possibly pluck you from a situation which until only a very short period of time ago would have been certain death. Okay, let's see what the next point is here from ChatGPT. It's global information availability. Ancient sailors relied on local knowledge and word of mouth. And we see this so much with um, Polynesian sailors who had, as we know, very complicated charts that they would create using palm fronds and shells on the beach and elders would pass down knowledge relating to winds and current direction and the way that wave patterns would split around islands then come claptiotically back together on the backside and they could chart these different waves and these different winds and then know that when the wind angle is at this to the wave angle or when these two types of waves meet each other you must change direction to you know pick pick the next step of the uh, of the of the magical spell but it did work it's been shown in the recent years to to work that local knowledge plus word of mouth plus passed down information from elders did allow um early humans to to travel huge distances one of the big question marks is i think we've mentioned this when we were doing e for um estimated position error is the how did people populate uh, easter island it, for to have a a population who are have a deep enough gene pool for it to last long term you need to have two or three thousand people so what happened did these people just set off from their island with two or three thousand people and then row or sail to easter island the most remote place on the planet tiny little speck in the pacific ocean did they just set off with thousands of folk that seems very unlikely to do a journey of like three thousand nautical miles or were they going backwards and forwards between the most remote island in the world in the middle of an ocean and their home in which case, how the hell were they navigating that? This is a thousands of miles on open ocean and you can kind of wave your hand at it and saying, oh, they knew about the, the waves and the, the, the islands. They're way outside of archipelagos at this point. They are way beyond anything which is anything other than oceanic, pelagic wave types and wave uh, trains and weather systems. And it's somehow they were moving backwards and forwards in a way that we just don't understand. So they had, as we keep saying here, very little information. What have we got? What can we do right now? Well, something that you should be aware of, and I think this is the right point to put it in, is that if you get one of those Starlink systems from, from, the, from the Elon Musk, I've got uh, friends here in Nova Scotia that don't refer to it as Starlink, but just say they've got the Elon Musk. Um, if you get the Elon Musk on the roof, that unit which goes up on your roof with a little base plate, you can put that straight on your boat. Do you know this? You know, there's a ma marine... RV slash type of account, which then recognizes the fact that you're moving around. They are looking to make a ruggedized marine version of Starlink in the future, but I know loads and loads of cruisers now who just have Starlink attached to the back of the boat. In fact, going into the Global Solar Challenge, that was my solution for my comms network, and it would have been completely fine and is being used to other races that are out there. It's literally, I think it cost us 300 Canadian dollars, the actual hardware. It arrived within 48 hours of pressing the button online and uh, I just put it on the roof, connected up the wire, plugged it into the wall and we had instant Wi-Fi in the house. You can use that on the boat at sea. You end up with 
gigabytes of information upload and download at a very cheap rate um, if you want to go beyond what's the normal amount for the uh, of data for that account then it will start to throttle you a little bit thereafter but the opportunity to upload and download gigabytes of information on a boat at sea is unlike anything else we've ever seen before and then we start to get to a point of view like well what can you do you're going to be in a situation where you have a wi-fi network on the boat which your phone is connected to all the time which then means that you can start to get all sorts of information. So just jumping out of the uh, run list here that this thing created for me um, of what to put into this podcast, I then asked it to to just double down on uh, a little bit of information. I said to ChatGPT, please list all communication methods available to the modern sailor. So I'm just going to go through these very quickly before we get back on with uh, the main part of this and then see what we could get our hands on. But just before I do that, again, just remind you that over on YouTube, we're going to be putting more information up there about this uh, interaction we've had with ChatGPT and maybe explore its other other skills for sailors. That could be something interesting to do in upcoming videos. We've got the gear reviews. We've got the how-to videos. We've got problem solving at sea. We've got me on expeditions between the UK and Iceland and uh, Antigua and Bermuda. And the latest one's going to be me repairing a boat in Bermuda and sailing it up to uh, uh, Boston. So there's all sorts going on over on the YouTube channel, which of course is also the Mariner. And then if you haven't heard about it already from my 50 other references in this podcast alone, there's the Mariner's Library, which is me reading uh, little known books from sailing history, which have big lessons. So uh, check that out if you haven't already. But yeah, so I asked ChatGPT to give me all the communication methods available to the modern sailor. It gave this list. Satellite communication, satellite phones, satellite internet providers, VHF radio, SSB, the single sideband radio, which also, of course, means you can phone to landlines if you can still get that service. Some people are telling me that the snail mail thing is still available. You can send emails via SSB radio. You've got AIS, your automatic identification system. A lot of information can be exchanged with AIS. The EPIRB, as we mentioned, can get huge amounts of infrastructure moving to come and save you in a situation where either the vessel or the crew face grave and imminent danger. You've got your PLB, your personal locator beacon, which might well be on your life jacket. If you go into the water, that's going to signal to a satellite that you're in the water and you need help. You could add to that also an AIS beacon, which would signal to vessels around you that you're in the water and need help. There's Navtex, which is still available. It comes often in digital formats now and may well be downloaded by chart plotters on board the boat or by um, software that you're using to operate through a laptop computer. Um, it delivers maritime safety information, weather forecasts and navigational warnings via radio and via text. Inmarsat and Iridium communication. You've still got the Starlink system up there, but you've got the Inmarsat, the Iridium. And obviously there's other systems operated by the European Space Agency, by the Russians, by the Chinese, by the Indians. If you're sailing and working in those areas, you may well have specific uh, access to those. You can use uh, HF radio. Um, it's less likely that uh, you're going to be doing that on a boat uh, these days. Uh, I think some people have still got their SSB radios on board, but the likelihood of actually using HF frequencies to uh, transmit meaningful information, I don't think a lot of people now really know how anything other than a VHF radio works. And uh, the, the knowledge which was the core of the ham amateur radio network is really lost from the, the sailing world now. And I've seen that change only in... 15 years since I last did my qualification in this area. Wi-Fi and cellular connectivity. If you're sailing alongside the coast, you can just use your cell phone off the towers there. Um, and as we're saying, things like the uh, Starlink system, or it might be that you've got uh, 
the Garmin system through something like one of their inReach devices. Um, that system gives you a Wi-Fi network on board the boat, the boat's own um, sensor system. It's an instrument system, whether it be from Garmin or from Raymarine or from um, B&G, it's going to have its own Wi-Fi network. So all around you is going to be the ability for you to plug in with your phone metaphorically or physically and have huge amounts of information available to you. You can use social media and online forums. You could be communicating where you're going, getting information about what's ahead, leaving reviews for things, getting directions to uh, good anchorages. You're going to have the weather facts. Maybe not so often now, but certainly the underpinnings of that, the satellite information can be downloaded to the boat, although again, probably be brought on board in a digital format. And that may well come through a sailing app. There are all sorts of apps now, particularly Navionics apps. By the time you're using Navionics and looking at the uh, raster charts that are available there, you're looking directly at UK hydrographic chart level data and you absolutely can navigate your boat using that. All of the information that's on a chart is available to you apart from the notes, which I would say you need to know how to look at chart notes um, on the electronic charts you're looking at because there's a lot of information stored there that doesn't just pop up um, every time you're looking at it. It might be that elements of what you need to know about what's going on about you are not just displayed by the app, but the information's there. You can get it out of it if you're a bit savvy with it. And if you've got something like the Chapman's uh, Seamanship app on your phone, then you can actually ask huge amounts of questions relating to all elements of sailing and uh, sail handling and boat handling and knots and fixing things. You can get all of that on an app, which is even available if you're not online. So suddenly we have this incredible tool in our pockets, the mobile phone. And if you've got two of them on board, as we've said many times previously on this podcast, you've got two separate power supplies, two separate antennas, two separate databases that could be literally a tablet and a phone on board the boat, thereby one of them creating a very strong uh, backup redundant element in case you have an issue with your first phone, which is probably dropping it over the side or cracking the screen or something. But um, suddenly we have all this information available to us if we know how to navigate it. Interesting that we're getting some of our um, ideas on this podcast through ChatGPT. I wonder if you could create a sailing assistant so that you can kind of, it's going to search for the most relevant, likely answers to your sailing questions and not just include all sorts of things um, pertinent to the area. If I'm pulling into somewhere I want to know about an anchorage, I want to know about depth and the bottom of, I don't want to see load of pictures of people in bikinis um, sunning on the beach. I want to know about this anchorage and what it's about. So as long as I can train my chat gpt assistant to like stick to the sailing stuff that could be amazing that's like having a professional sailor on board the boat um, to to do the work for you at least direct your uh, investigations online so that you can use the information channels available to you to draw down information and use it on board the boat just to give you an idea you know if you had like a massive flooding incident let's try it now um, here's chat gpt open in front of me um, i could say to it um how do i fix a large hole in the bow of my boat at sea all right what it says repairing a large hole in the bow of your boat at sea can be challenging and the extent of the damage will determine the best course of action here's a general guide for a temporary repair at sea materials needed marine epoxy putty or resin choose a high quality marine grade epoxy putty or resin suitable for underwater applications fiberglass patch a fiberglass patch or cloth that is compatible with marine epoxy. 
sandpaper, isopropyl alcohol or acetone, putty knife or spreader, you can see where it's going. It's trying to do a fiberglass repair. So it's kind of doing a Robert Redford uh, trying to immediately uh, solve the problem with uh, epoxy and fiberglass. I could say the water is coming in too fast. <laughs> Maybe it's going to like call the Coast Guard. If water is entering your boat too quickly, it's crucial to take immediate action to prevent further flooding and ensure the safety of yourself and others on board. Here are steps to follow in an emergency situation with rapidly incoming water. Use distress signals such as flares, radio calls or emergency whistles to signal nearby vessels and authorities that you are in distress. Issue a mayday call, transmit a distress call on the Marine VHF radio. Activate emergency position indicating radio beacon. Immediate mitigation measures. Bilge pumps. If your boat is equipped with bilge pumps, activate them to start pumping out water. Number two, manual bailing. Use buckets, containers, or any available tools to manually bail water. Close seacocks and hatches. Then it says, again, we won't just read everything, but damage assessment. Locate the leak. Use temporary patch. Apply a temporary patch using items on board, such as a sail, a tarp, or a piece of plywood. Use ropes, lines, or duct tape to secure the patch over the damaged area. And then it goes into abandoned ship procedure and ongoing communication. So we just put in up here, how do I fix a large hole in the bow of my boat at sea? It then tried to give us a fiberglass repair. I then said to it, the water is coming in too fast. And it tells me about the immediate actions I should take, the immediate mitigation measures, damage assessment, abandoned ship procedure and ongoing communication. Now, if that's coming to you as a voice in the middle of the craziness which is going to be you sinking in the middle of the sea that is a wise voice it might not be able to tell you everything that's in your inventory it might not be able to tell you exactly how to do every little part of it but getting you thinking about temporary patches locate the leak uh, prepare for abandoning ship deploy the life raft or lifeboat signal for rescue all this stuff that is a massively useful tool so when people say you can't navigate using a phone i would say you're not using it right you can have nautical charts gps AIS, weather information, radar data, satellite imagery, tide and current information, notices to mariners, nav techs, electronic navigation systems, electronic chart displays and information systems, voyage planning software, search and rescue information, fishing and maritime zones, ice charts, local pilotage information and security alerts. You could get all that on the boat. I could get all of that just by asking ChatGPT to list every piece of information about where I am and then I don't know if there's a sailing assistant on the horizon, but it can connect to the boat's own uh, information and then further augment what it's able to do for you. What a mad time to be alive. Now, I know for a lot of people listening to this, a lot of this sounds like absolute hell. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like The robots are taking over everything. Well, the fact of the matter is we always end up absorbing some quantity of new tech into sailing whether it be through materials, it be through new electronic uh, devices on board the boat, newer uh, power plants, newer battery uh, technology, all of it in the end in some way leaks down onto the boat. And certainly there is a massive demand by everyday people now for more information. Um, I can absolutely understand, of course, why people would use sailing as the method to escape from all of that i.e. we don't want any of this on the boat, but a certain percentage of it will still slip through. And I would imagine that 20 or 30 years in the future, what I'm discussing here as being an incredible revolution in available information will appear, of course, to be an archaic 
you know, fumbling step uh, towards whatever is the reality of 20 or 30 years from now. So whilst, of course, we don't want to ignore our history, indeed, the podcast that shall not be mentioned <laughs> is all about that, just getting information from uh, the last 200 years, really, the books uh, I read at cover. And there's so much to be drawn from them, so many subjective experiences that are so meaningful to people that still sort of ply the the ocean highways um but the reality is that there will be a, a greater and greater number of people who will bring very mundane everyday tech of their own onto boats and this will be how it's expressed that you'll have this complete connectivity all the time i can remember crossing the atlantic in 2016 and having a russian uh, client on board the boat and as the boat went to sea I had a satellite phone on board now I had a hardwired system on the boat but I had a mobile satellite phone I had an Iridium Go which is a method of communicating through your phone with the internet a brilliant device if you haven't seen it I had a Garmin InReach um, which uh, another brilliant uh, messaging device um, what else did I have on board the boat obviously VHF and all that kind of stuff Whatever was the package that I was primarily using for my everyday comms, which was, yeah, I guess the satellite phone, the Iridium Go and the Delorme, uh, sorry, the uh, Garmin, uh, he had all of that in his pockets at any one time. <laughs> it was completely incredible. He was not part of the crew. He was like a kind of passenger that had come along as well. He was just constantly on the sat phone constantly sending messages and getting weather reports via the Garmin inReach unit and uh, and surfing the internet uh, at a very slow rate given and by you know f by the internet I mean also his emails and all the rest of it uh, via the Iridium Go and he's doing that on the side deck while we're in the middle of the Atlantic and uh, it was terribly damaging to his uh, connectivity with the rest of the crew uh, they didn't really feel like he was part of it at all it was good for my morale and uh, sense of humor when after like four days he said that he'd maxed out all of his accounts and could he now use the boat's equipment to continue his communication to which the answer was no um we were very very careful to explain to people going onto the boats that you know really it's it's more difficult to connect with the land than one might expect and that we dissuade it because of the way it um messes up the dynamic on board the boat if someone's having a great day with the people in their watch and then they get messages from the shore which start to irritate them that can really play out into the dynamic of a team when they're engaged in some activity at two or three o'clock in the morning and they're wet and hungry and all the rest of it um i think i certainly would have to modify massively my leadership method if i was on a boat that was constantly connected but from that chap in 2016 um, I've seen the development now. I know from all the commercial fishermen and the guys are out on the water in any kind of career, they expect to have high speed internet to each of their cabins at all times. Even if you're on like uh, the, the, the Grand Banks out here off of Newfoundland on a relatively small fishing boat, you do demand an internet connection uh, as part of your work. So that boat is fully connected. That skipper's then dealing with the cruise dynamic, not just within their watches, but also with their wider family, their finances, all that kind of stuff. That seems to me difficult. Um, but at the same time, the bosses uh, of these uh, companies are able to keep in constant communication with their captains. The engineers on the boats are able to get 
answers to technical problems they have. You could uh, laser scan something on the boat with or, or use photogrammetry to uh, take images of it and send a file back to the land and have something milled in you know carbon fiber and then a next crew member coming out brings it with them all that's very very possible now the amount of information that's flying backs and forwards is crazy the net result of most of this that that i'm interested in is um safety that's you know a, a key element here another part of it is performance in any kind of racing stuff you're doing um, another part of it is connectivity to friends and family, which is always a very negative aspect of sailing um, when you, you can't be where you need to be at the right times or you don't know what's going on. You can't communicate uh, what, what's required um, in, in a difficult situation. Being able to bridge that gap has its, its highs and lows, but it is going to be extra information <clears throat> that comes onto the boat uh, in, in the very near future if, if it's not here already. I, I have friends who I will be... Um, I'll be messaging from the boat via the, uh, I guess I'm using the the Garmin system for that. So I'm messaging through the Garmin system to friends who are then giving me their opinions on the weather that I'm downloading through the Iridium Go. So I've got an outside opinion of somebody else, uh, which I'm using one system for. And uh, on the other system, I'm meanwhile downloading uh, weather information. And the amount of money that you're paying for all of that you know, certainly as a professional that's using it all the time, you're talking about like $250 to have unlimited uh, digital uh, uh, connectivity through the Iridium Go and uh, a certain amount of voice, a certain amount of uh, messages on the Garmin unit. Um, you'd have unlimited messaging for, I think it's like 70 bucks or something, 80 bucks a month, whatever it was, it wasn't very much. It came to like the same uh, mobile phone bill, but suddenly I had this incredible connectivity thousands of miles offshore um, in a way that I've, I've never had previously. So, yeah, information is certainly the revolution that we are living through uh, as sailors. Um, the, the technology that we see out on the water and things like the America's Cup is cutting edge. But what might be the thing in the end that uh, really translates to the sailor is uh, the comms unit that they're using uh, strapped to the side of their heads, which is obviously ruggedized and uh, and fitted to the kind of uh, activities they're engaged in. And if that's connected to your mobile phone and your mobile phone is connected to a satellite, you have full connectivity. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's what sailing will be. And we'll just have to all get used to it as as always. Right. So, hey, it's uh, an interesting subject to get into. I like trying to push the edges a little bit of uh, the concepts we've come up with with sailing. Sailing overall, I think there are more people out cruising. I think there's a lot less people racing. There's a lot less people engaged in the kind of stuff that I'm excited about, which is long distance uh, voyaging. Um, I'm all for anything which it will open up this field for other people to come and uh, enjoy uh, sailing, whether it be for skills development or personal development, interpersonal development with groups and teams and family and friends. Sailing has such a lot to give. One of the things I'm most excited about is that the world of the offshore boat is now something which is very accessible to people. And we've seen in the Vendee Globe, uh, cameras which can be controlled from the base stations back in Sabdalon. Um, we've got uh, videographers making beautiful videos at sea and sending them back via Starlink. We're suddenly able to take that world offshore that we love and uh, and translate it finally back to those people 
uh, on the land with with something better than just a couple of pictures or a, a grainy video or, or a tall tale. So I'm excited about the opportunities that it brings, the safety opportunities that it offers. I'd be nervous that people who are not really suitable to be at sea uh, find themselves um, with the yeah the faucet wide open in their face of sailing information, unable to. Uh, correlate any of it into uh, a safe passage or, or an enjoyable voyage um, but that's always been a problem you know there was a guy I remember in the UK he was saved by the Royal National Lifeboat Institution I think it was like 27 times or something off the coast of the UK the last time he went aground um, on like the Isle of Sheppey or something uh, in the Thames and he was uh, he was using an RAC a Royal Automobile Club uh, road atlas for navigating through the coastal waters of the UK. And the RNLI had got to a point, they said they would not rescue him anymore. People will always abuse the good opportunities which are in front of them to, to be safe and to be wise on the water, but they're only one end of the bell curve. In the middle, the middle will keep shifting and new technology will keep getting uh, added. AIS has been added in the last 20 years. EPUBs are now worldwide. Satellite comms is an absolute normal required by all offshore races. Much more on the safety side with AIS beacons for the water and for SARTs and uh, PLBs and all this stuff. No doubt the next thing will be that that line of stuffy books on the shelf, which you barely ever look at, and certainly wouldn't be able to access in an emergency, suddenly those become something that you can talk to and have like a, a pro sailor on board the boat. I'm sure this is how a lot of things will get um, lost from uh, you know the workplace in a, in a wider sense. This is how AI will become a prom for us in a wider sense because so many creative things can suddenly be done by AI in a hot second, not least the, the hints and tips that it's given us through this through this podcast, that initial list of uh, things, the the development of uh, communication for offshore vessels, that's the kind of spot hit we gave it of uh, what information is available at any one time. And then that idea of, hey, the water's coming in the front of the boat, what do I do? I remember my mother was a, uh, uh, well, she was a psychologist and she was part of a group that were looking at um, counseling software that could be used. And it had AI built into it, but we're talking late 90s, early 2000s here. So it's very, very basic system compared to anything that we might have now. But the programmers that she was working with were happy to give her demonstrations and show what it was capable of and how it might be used in a clinical setting. So my mother's question was, how intelligent is this system? Is it like conscious? Is it AI? And the programmer said to her, tell it that the office is on fire. So my mother, Julie, typed this into the uh, the search bar or whatever it was, the, the, the queue, and uh, it came up with obviously something which was completely unrelated, asking her to elucidate further on her feelings that the office might be on fire. It, he said to her, the programmer said to my mother, um, the day that it says, get me the hell out of this office, then we know that it's uh, we've got real intelligence here with the existential threat of the end of its existence. We'll, we'll see, okay, this thing's alive. What we have now is I can tell it the water's coming in the front of the boat. <laughs> it gives me all of the instructions of how to save me slash it. <laughs> so I don't know, we're kind of there. You know, they can dance. Um, they can certainly help her fix the boat. That could be interesting, right? Do a composite repair, re-rig something, uh, put a blanket patch around the outside of the boat, tighten keel bolts, uh, fix something on the engine. What about if you had like, um, 
I know you, you couldn't start the main engine and it started taking you through everything. I had a friend do that uh, recently. He couldn't start the main engine, uh, I just, not the main engine, he couldn't start the outboard engine on the boat and uh, was pulling it and pulling it and pulling it and then realized that the ignition was not on. It normally was a battery operated electric start, but uh, it was uh, being used as a pull start, but to the point that the ignition had forgotten to be turned on and that was the thing and just i was able to quickly lead him through the uh the steps to isolate what most likely things was wrong i.e that the ignition wasn't on but uh you know right now uh ai could do that absolutely no problem at all so my friend was lucky to have me to call and i can help out in that situation but everybody would have chat gpt like devices by the end of 2024 and you could just get the answer right then so I think this is something that's going to come along and make big difference to people. I'm not sure if we are the generation that will be um, completely onboarding this. I think I know now how my parents felt with VCRs. Um, <laughs> while I was programming the time for them, they kind of looked on like, okay, what is this? Um, I'm still like on the edge of most of the things that are going on, but ChatGPT and the processes that AI is able to engage in and how it's able to be creative and uh, how it's able to create content, adjust content, all that stuff is a little bit of a, a far reach for me. But I can imagine this. I can imagine having somebody on the boat who just knows all the bloody answers. That'd be super useful. And as long as you are able to ask the right kind of questions, that could be brilliant. That could be like Slocum's uh, ghost in the cockpit. You've got somebody driving the boat, which we already have autopilots, but now we can have somebody who drives the boat and answers questions and makes up limericks and sings songs and plays Spotify. So it, uh, it's an interesting age to be involved in. So if you've got any thoughts on this, as always, uh, csmthemariner at gmail.com. I love hearing your ideas. Thank God we've got I out the way. I was uh, totally blocked up on that one and lots been going on recently. I'll be delving into that further in an upcoming questions and tangents uh, episode. But uh, until then, yeah, we'll be moving on to uh, look at the end of the RYA Sea Survival Handbook that we've been looking at dealing with cold weather. And then we've got a lot more content coming up on YouTube. Uh, we've got the uh, ongoing story of me uh, bringing that trimaran up from antigua to boston it's in bermuda and i'll, I'll give you a spoiler uh, i managed to damage the boat uh, quite badly and i have to stay another four or five days and fix it before i'm able to make my way on to boston so that's coming up that'll go uh into the shoot tomorrow uh you'll be able to watch that at the, at the end of the week and we can chat about it a little bit uh, over the weekend but um thanks for listening to this one uh if you've got any comments to say about eyes for information or your take on how ai is going to uh, make life better or worse at sea i'd be very interested to hear that at csm the mariner at gmail.com but until then i hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing you are safe and sound and i look forward to speaking to you in the next one cheers